Blog Talk Radio. friends, Reverend Shar McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created just to focus on the tenth. Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bibles will be out of the all the Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible, and you may use any Bible you wish, of course. Um, due to God being so gracious to me and in gratitude, I started doing Bible studies. 
and uh, we're actually making our way straight through the New Testament. And we'll be here every Sunday morning, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, if you want to join us. And um, we're just grateful. We read just a chapter a week, and we're making it through. And uh, we just want to welcome everybody who's tuned in this morning. Thank you very much. And let's do our opening prayer, and let's say together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Abide the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray for all Christians worldwide and also those Christians that are being persecuted for their worship and for their faith. Uh, we know their lives are in jeopardy and our prayers are with them. And we pray for the sick and suffering all over the world. And we also pray for those who are sick in mind and body. And we also keep in our prayers the lonely and the uncomforted. We ask God to forgive us our sins. We also pray for those suffering from domestic violence in their own homes and violence anywhere in the world for any reason. We pray for freedom of addiction for all kinds. And please, God, send your mighty Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect those whose lives are, are being taken for distorted or evil reasons. And we do believe certain people have become martyrs and that they'll meet us in heaven when we all get there. And uh, we just ask your angels to watch over everybody. And our, our prayers go out to everybody that suffers in the world, including the animals who can't speak for themselves. And we also pray for the risen Lord President and the rest of our policymakers. They have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all countries for problems of suffering all over the world. We thank you, God, for everything you've given us, your generosity, your faith with us. And we ask this in Jesus, and also ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you don't have your Bible uh, where you are, you can also go to the online Bible, www.biblia.com. So I want to let you know that the opening music was by Save Vocal Group from the CD Native of Angels by Save. If you want to order a copy, just go to savae.org called Native Angels. And they are on Facebook, and they do live shows, and you can listen to it for free on YouTube. And they also have a CD on Amazon that you can buy it there. And uh, if you have a birthday this morning, I want to wish you a very happy and blessed birthday or anniversary or any uh, special day you have today. And I wish you a very prosperous year ahead. And we do have a few birthdays this morning. My friends Beverly Makulis, Charles Glasser, Kylie Berry. I love you, Carly, And Daniel Agnew. I wish them all a very happy birthday and a blessed, prosperous year ahead. Now, if you want to call in with any requests or special requests, just let me know. You can also follow me on Facebook, Charlene Simpson McCain, or you can uh, call in and 619-924-9744 and ask for a special request. And um, today we're actually on Colossians chapter 4, and we're closing out Colossians today. So I'm going to read you the... uh, uh, summary by uh, these uh, college students from Harvard, and they uh, have summarized it this way. And I've titled this, We Need to Pray. Aside from keeping a household structure that is totally conformed with first century Roman life, 
what else are Christians supposed to do? Well, pray. Thank God in prayer. And pray that Paul gets out of prison soon. Seriously, the food in the slammer is terrible. They also need to be smart when it comes to non-believers. A Christian certainly can't deny the truth about Jesus, but that doesn't mean he or she has to stir up trouble. In other words, pick your battles very carefully. Friends of yours, Paul? Paul is sending along this letter with his friend Tysias. You may remember him from his biblical letters as an Ephesians. And he's going to give the Colossians all the updates on Paul. No worries. And then Tysias is also coming with Onesimus, and you'll see his name in the epistle to Philemon when we get to that. And our Aristarus sends his best wishes from the lockup. Uh, Barnabas' cousin Mark does too, and Jesus, who all people call justice, probably because he doesn't get confused with the way more important Jesus in Paul's life, also says hi. These three dudes are Jewish Christians, and Paul's really gladly to have them around. Epaphras, who's a Gentile Christian, is hanging out too. He's the one who founded the church in Colossia, so he's really hoping things work out there. And Luke and Demas oh, say howdy to you. Anyway, Paul wants them to pass along his best to everyone in Lysodia, especially Nymphia. She hosted church in her own house. And once this letter has made the rounds in Colossia, they can send it unto the churches in Lysodia. Everyone gets a taste of Paul's goodness. And Paul ends the letter by signing his own farewell. He tells his readers to remember my chains. Not as catchy as a Colossia, totally Paul style. So anyway, let's uh, now go to our Bible reading from the actual Word of God in the Bible. And we're going to Colossians chapter 4. Okay, chapter 4. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And then in prayer. Two. We devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God open up to us a door for the word so that he may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak, a witness in speech. Conduct Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know who you should respond to best, each person. As to all my affairs, Tysias, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bond servant and Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, and that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, and they will inform you about the whole situation here. Arasterus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Also, Barnabas, cousin Mark, about whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Ephorus, who has, is one in your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. And for I testify for him that he is a deep concern for you, 
and for those who are in Losadia and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Losadia and also Nicaea and the church that was in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of Losadians, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Losadia. Say to Archippus that heed to the ministry of which you have received the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And then I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. So that's actually the end of that chapter. And then we're going to go on to next week to Thessalonians. Well, let's go back and read the notes. So for two, we should persist in prayer with alertness and thanksgiving and a door for the word, an opportunity to speak the mystery, outsiders. Those are not Christians, but pagans. The division between them was sharp, and the church was the community, and all others were shut out unbelievers. Season with salt. Salt is a preservative that retards spoilers. Our speech should be tempered as so never be insipid, corrupt, or obscene. Antiochus is one of the bearers of this letter, and Osimus, and he's in Philmon. Okay, the next note is 410, Archisus Mark, the author of the second gospel. He had been restored to Paul's favor after his lapse on the first missionary journey. That's kind of amazing to even say that, but, you know, this is telling us a lot about what happened with the apostles. Then Jesus, who is called Justice, nothing else is known of him. And then Luke, the author of the third gospel, uh, a helper which later, uh, I He's okay, Luke. Sorry, Luke is the author of the third gospel, and Demas was a helper who later defected. He ditched out anyway. The church that was in her house, and note that she held churches in her house. And the letter from Losadia, some think that this is a circular letter to Ephesians, and uh, that just shows about that little letter just showing encouragement. And poor Paul is still in prison, and uh. We'll read the next, what's going on next in Thessalonians. It's amazing as we're going through these letters that Paul has written and how much they're telling us about the life then and the life of Paul and uh, how encouraging it is for us that uh, we don't have it anywhere near as hard uh, physically as they do, but some of us have. Some of us is just like, uh, I guess, what's happening, you know, out of the country is a lot like what was going on in the Bible. And uh, people have uh, serious problems all over, and we pray for everybody. You know, we often think of who's being hurt that we don't know about, and uh, our prayer goes out to everybody, and our thoughts, we we just wish and pray that you all overcome whatever it is you have to overcome. You know, it's really tough. In this world, we get a lot of pressure from the outside, but in the inside, be strong and be with God and ask Jesus to help you and help you in everything you need to be helped with. And uh, we do ask in Jesus' name that we all stay strong and move forward and do the best we can and be the best people we can and help others and also have love and understanding for others. And now we're going to go to our story that I have in, um, let's see, Okay, so I just found it, and it's on our, our guidepost. Uh, and this Dream Big Dreams by Doris Toppin, North Bend, Washington. 
Barb Drennan still remembers the phone call that spring morning in 1986. It would change her life. Miss Drennan, the woman on the other side, said, I'm from the Department of Social Health Services. I know that you and your husband have had many foster children in your home, and I wonder if you're willing to help us out. How, Barb asked. We're seeing more and more drug-addicted babies born at University of Washington Hospital and need someone to devise a program of care for them. Can you do that? Barb, 50, was stunned. I suspected that some babies, my husband and I, were drug-affected, she said. Recently, she had been perplexing symptoms in babies placed in her home. The infants were well anxious, couldn't sleep or eat, and cried uncontrollably. One, one trembled frantically, his little arms shaking, his chin quivering, and his body racked with severe tremors. I can care for the babies in my home, she told the social worker, but I can't design a program for them. Please think about it, the social worker pleaded. These poor infants are suffering and need help. Barb talked to her husband, Ken, an engineer, about the phone call, then called her friend, Barbara Richards, 52, to tell her. Barbara and her husband, Gary, a reservation clerk with an airline, also care for foster children, mostly neglected or abused children taken from their parents by social service workers. The two couples had cared for more than 700 children in their homes during the previous 30 years. Oh, those poor babies, Barbara said, tears sliding down her cheeks. But I need something more than we can design. Years earlier, when she lived in the Midwest, Barbara had started a center for medically fragile children, and she didn't want to set the bureaucratic system again. Barb and Barbara couldn't forget the idea. During the next few weeks, they called each other frequently and called other foster parents with their small community in Kent, Washington. ACL sub over 38,000 people. They found little help. Barb wished she could just enjoy the comfortable two-story home and simply love babies put in her care. The social workers continued to call. Do you have room? We need more homes like yours where foster parents know how to treat infants with drug problems. Babies are dying for lack of care. Barb was plagued with doubt. Why me, God, she prayed. I've never done anything like this. Barbara wrestled with similar questions. Barbara and Gary's four natural children were grown, and the couple now had seven foster children in the home. They just moved from seven months to 27 years. Barb and Kim's two natural children were grown, but they had two adopted children and were legally guardians to a boy with cerebral palsy. Then two drug-addicted babies died in a foster home within months. Barb tells Barbara, you really need to do something, she said. I am ready to help, Barbara said. Later that evening, they sat at the table in Barb's kitchen and wrote down all their questions and the problems they faced. We need to train nurses, build, find a building, raise money, buy all the extra equipment those babies need for round-the-clock care, Barb said. And we need the doctor available at all times. Together, they outlined a facility that would provide care for addicted babies until they were healthy enough to be placed in a family. Because many drug abusers came from stable families who are devastated by the daughter's lifestyle and want to keep the family intact, the expectation was that most of the babies would find homes with family members. Barbara leaned forward and encouraged, when do I think of the hurting babies out there, I know we have to give this all we've got. It looks right, Barb said, grinning. We're just moms, but but God prepared us for this. I believe we are the people out there who who would like to help. God has tapped us, and we better believe it for the infants. Barbara nodded and looked over the plan again. Doctors, nurses, social workers tried to create a program but gave up and kept calling us. I didn't think we could do it, but here it is, designed by God. 
Bart's blue eyes shone through her glasses. This won't be an institution with a baby's a warehouse. We'll move them back out into family and foster homes as soon as possible. During the next two years, their husbands provided $4,000 and cared for the children at home while Barb and Barbara traveled across the country on and off, attending classes and seminars, visiting medical facilities. They worked with local doctors and hospitals and met with social service officials. As they took these steps, more ideas developed and were part of their plan. Finally, in May 1989, they took their proposal to the Department of Social Health Services, which had asked for their help three years earlier in a meeting with officials. The two women asked for $200,000 to fund the program. At the end of the hour, convinced the babies would be warehoused, the officials rejected the proposal. The two women were stunned. Barbara looked at Barbara. Barb looked at Barbara, seated next to her in the meeting room, usually tough and composed, and saw her chin quiver. Her shoulders sagged. We've lost. Now what are we going to do? They had struck out. During the ride home, they were in shock and couldn't talk. Barbara cried all night. What are we going to doing wrong? She called out to God. Are we blundering towards something not meant to be? Is this the best answer for these babies? It seemed like the end. But God had other their plans. The next morning, the two conferred over coffee and put their questions before God and listened. You brought us this far, far, Lord, but it looks like the plan is dead. As they prayed, they began to realize what had happened during the past three years. They had met with doctors, nurses, social workers, even key legislatures, preparing to set the program in motion. They realized that even though things didn't seem to have worked out at all, God, God was behind the scenes working for the good. The pieces began to fall into place. We're more than qualified to do this, Barb said with a confident smile. They realized their experiences complemented each other's skills. Barbara's 30 years in caring for severely handicapped children and Barb's having worked with newborn and premature infants. There's nothing wrong with this program, she said. It will work. As they talked, the, the quiet boldness grew within them. We've got to believe God's view that we can do this, Barb said. Barbara sat back in the stool and smiled. I don't feel afraid, Barb. We can do this. There's no turning back. They decided to take their plan directly to the state legislature and began preparing for even more comprehensive proposal. The women put everything in writing and solicited letters of support from lawyers, doctors, social workers, nurses, foster parents, hospital directors, and they discovered shocking statistics. In the University of Washington Hospital, which has a special program for people with drug problems, eight out of 10 babies were born drug affected compared to the national average of one in 10. Wow. In one six-month period, seven hospitals in the Puget Sound area reported that 1,500 of the 8,000 babies born had mothers addicted to cocaine, crack, heroin, or alcohol. Barb and Barbara knew the state legislature had been studying the problem, so they prepared information packets for each legislator and drove 50 miles to the capital of Olympia to begin lobbying. This is what's happening in Seattle, they said. We have to do something about it. And from there, state legislative June Leonard and Margarita Prentice took the reins. This is exactly what we're looking for, said Leonard. In August 1989, state officials approved $500,000 for a nine-month pilot program and funneled money through the Social Services Department, where officials presented the next hurdle. Be up and running in 30 days or you don't get the money, they told Barbara and Barb. 30 days, grasped Barbara. How can we do all that needs to be done by then? But they swung into gear and found a small medical facility that had been empty for several years. 
At the same time, a friend told a local newspaper reporter about the program, and a series of stories began appearing in the Daily News. Barb and Barbara told reporters what they needed and deadline they faced, and the phone calls began coming in with offers of help. Volunteers were asked to come to the first planning meeting held in the empty building. The two women prayed that night nearly 90 volunteers jammed the meeting room and spilled into the porch. They were asked two questions, what can you do and who do you know? To get the project started, the Valley Medical Center donated $32,000. That opened a flood of help from the community. Now the work began. Doors and windows had to be placed, sprinkler system installed, the furnace repaired, walls painted, medical equipment purchased, installed. A staff hired in fewer than 30 days. A list of volunteers had grown to 200, The Barb and Barbara still didn't know if it was possible to put everything together in time. When things looked bleak, as the phone rang. This is from Dick West from Boeing. Do you need help? Yes, she said. Barb said, grateful for the one volunteer to wield a paintbrush. But when West arrived the next day, he wore a suit and carried a briefcase and had an assistant with him. The two men walked into the unit, studied the plan. We can bring a paint crew in, West said. But you need a project manager. Boeing understands times and management, and they don't have much time. We'll provide a project manager, and <clears throat> if you're not ready by a project manager, and you don't have to be, sorry, you don't have much time, we'll provide them project manager, and if you're not ready in deadline, we'll bring people in from Boeing to help. The two women couldn't comprehend the extent and effect of such a gift, and when Doug Burroughs in his 20s, cheerful and handsome, walked into the next day, Younger looking than their sons, they wondered if he was up to the job. But Burroughs calmly managed eight contractors, all the volunteers, and ran for supplies and permits himself as well. Listen, everybody, he kept encouraging the volunteers. We can do this. One day, an older woman stopped and asked, do you have any special needs? Would you like to walk through? Yes, Barbara, we're making a hallway, but we don't have the $10,000 for the sprinkler system. I have a wealthy friend, the woman said. He's very particular and will want to know more about your organization. The next day, she stopped him again. I have a check for $10,000 to give you, provided you never tell my friend's name. Pediatric Intern Care Center opened October 1990. Wow. Care for one month for a drug addicted baby is $4,000, compared with $30,000 at the University of Washington Hospital. The center's costs are lower because it is so much donated. Nurses work for lower wages, no benefits, and the medical director donates his time. Paid staff is minimal, and more than 100 people are on the waiting list to volunteer their help. The average treatment time for a baby is 36 days. The facility is equipped for 13 babies and has cared for more than 350 infants since it opened, and probably many, many, many more now. It is a labor of love for Barb and Barbara to bring the babies to the Center for Loving Care. The community rallied around the center, helping meet each new challenge, and when the money was needed for a machine that measures oxygen in the blood, a nearby church gave $5,000 from tithes and offerings just the amount needed. Medical staff and social workers called from across the country for information on funding, staffing, and caring for drug-addicted babies. It's overwhelming. We have no concept of what it's going to take, Barbara told volunteer at the stage of calls. The task is so daunting, the center remains the only one of its kind in the country. The center must care for more than suffering babies. Volunteers must also care for the mothers. When Tanya's baby, Kenny, was born in the kitchen floor, he was transferred to the hospital and three days later at the center. 
Each day, Tanya, 42, with her three other children, rode the bus across town, transferring through the winter storms to sit with Kenny. She rocked her baby and watching her other children play around the chair. The reality of having a baby taken away at birth has jarred her out of clutches of cocaine. The drug tricks you, she said to Barb, until everything, home, family, and possessions is gone. Her voice broke, and I hurt my baby. A center-trained Tanya now responded to her baby's withdrawal symptoms, which will continue for six months. Babies born drug-addicted are at risk for drug abuse the rest of their lives and can suffer inappropriate emotional responses, laughing when they should cry, crying when they should laugh for a lifetime. The center staff helped Tanya see what a beautiful baby she had. On the day before Kenny was to go home, Tanya brought in a gray, stiff undershirt worn at the arms, the only baby clothes she had, and the nurses and volunteers knew it was Tanya's birthday. They put on a baby shower and birthday celebration together overnight. When Tanya arrived the next day, Barb walked down the hall with her, and we have a surprise for you. The smiling group gathered at the table, covered with balloons and gifts, and Tanya stared down at a decorated cake and held her with her children in her arms as tears rolled down her cheeks. Are you all right? asked Barb. Yes, Tanya said, swallowing hard, wiping her nose. It's just I've never had a party before. Barb and Barbara hugged Tanya. A new light shone in her eyes, and she wasn't going home with a white picket fence, but she was ready for another run at life. Now, three years later, Tanya continues to be drug-free, raising her family and doing well. The workday for Barb, the center's director, and Barbara, its administrator, stretches 6 a.m. to 6.30 at night. Their love of the babies keep them going, and lives are being changed because two women had a dream and wouldn't give up and believed in innocent babies deserve a chance. Thank you, God. Amen. Let's say our closing prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. God bless you for listening. And I'll be back next week. Bring your friends. Love you. Bye-bye.